Welcome to Tomato Tomato. This is episode 2.5. It's a special, as Scott Ackerman would say, bonus episode. Uh, and so this whole episode, uh, it's just going to be about, uh, well, it's inspired by a couple articles that uh, Jenna and I have come across. Yeah, you should probably, uh, we should probably say our names because we haven't done that yet. Oh, uh, yes. If you missed the first two episodes... I'm Chris. And, and I'm Jenna. <laughs> We're talking over each other. It's early in the morning. Um, but, yeah, so we I was sitting, you know, drinking my coffee, reading Twitter, as I do basically every morning, and I stumbled across an article from Vulture that was talking about kind of um, how critics have received the summer blockbusters that have come out so far and if there's kind of, like, there's kind of a disconnect between what their reviews are and like how the film performs in the box office and whatever. And then I, and the, and the article calls out two specific movies that we'll kind of touch on later a bit more into those. Yeah. Although I did kind of look, cause I was trying to do like a little bit of research and see where this whole kind of assumption started from. And it turns out it was an article from deadline that was posted on the 29th. So like earlier this week of, um, so the two movies in question are um, Baywatch and Pirates of the Caribbean. Who gives a fuck is the subtitle, basically. Like, Pretty much. I don't. I don't care. Um, we'll just come out. Ri- come right out and say neither of us have seen either of these movies. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a different episode from the movies or from the episodes where we actually like see the movie and then talk about it. But it's, we just found kind of an interesting trend and an interesting discourse going on about kind of whether or not the Rotten Tomato reviews for these movies had any effect on their box office. Yeah. I, that's a, very open-ended question. Uh, <laughs> there's not a clear, cut, and dry answer to it. There's a lot of good points to be made for both. I think. Um, uh, how do? Where do we even start with this? Because there's just so um, much to, well, to pick I'm, apart. I'm from. looking at Deadline's review or Deadline's article, which I didn't really send to you because I was just going to kind of read what they had to say that kind of started this whole discourse because like they they made the assumption that there was a connection between the Rotten Tomatoes reviews and the box office and then all of these other outlets have kind of come out and been like no that's not really true so um, I'm trying yeah, to read basically, it there's, yeah. there's a lot of think pieces out there yeah we've um, kind of called through I mean we've obviously obviously read, mentioned this this vulture piece and there's another piece from Slash Film more or less talking about the same thing um, you know blockbusters V critics. Um, okay, I think I found the quote that's kind of relevant. It says, Insiders close to both films blame Rotten Tomatoes with Pirates 5 and Baywatch respectively earning 32% and 19% rotten. The critic aggregation site increasingly is slowing down the potential business of popcorn movies. Pirates 5 and Baywatch aren't built for critics but rather general audiences and once upon a time these types of films, a family adventure and a raunchy R-rated comedy were critic proof. Many of those in the industry severely question how Rotten Tomatoes computes its ratings, and the fact that the scores run on Fandango, which owns Rotten Tomatoes, is seen as an even bigger problem. Yeah, I mean, if so, hypothetically, if I'm a a movie executive, and it's like, hey, that 21 Jump Street movie, let's try to recapture that magic. Let's uh, dredge up Baywatch. We'll cast one of the biggest stars in the world for it. 
box office gold. It's going to be a hit. There'll be sequels. Nope. I'm going to check and see kind of what their international box office has been or if there's any way of indicating that. Because, well, because my thought is like between The Rock and like Priyanka Chopra is like a really big deal. Like when when she got cast in Quantico, it was like a huge deal in India because she's like one of their biggest stars. So I could see like the international box office kind of. um, Which I I would be curious. So you have Priyanka Chopra, who's a huge star overseas internationally uh and nationally here she's very absent in the marketing and advertising oh huh so apparently okay apparently it's also failing hard overseas because it has only come out in like aside from america it's only come out in new zealand um so i was wondering because i was like i looked at box box office mojo and i was like good lord this is a really bad discrepancy because it made 30 million domestically and then it made eight hundred and seventy three thousand foreign so i was like what the actual fuck but that's like just from that's like just from a couple of countries apparently see i'd be yeah and they i also feel they tried to to bank on the brand recognition of baywatch itself yeah and that it's not really something that is uh, strong anymore. I feel like. Well, and it, yeah, it, I don't. Millennials don't connect with Baywatch like our the previous generation. I feel like. Well, yeah, Although, we don't have like, that cultural frame of reference, and I feel like they were definitely trying to target millennials. With yeah, this movie. yeah, like there's kind of a disconnect because it's like the millennials that you're wanting to get with this movie haven't seen the original Baywatch and the people who have seen Baywatch aren't going to want to see the millennial jokes and like the, the like raunchy humor and all of that sort of stuff, because that's not, it's like hashtag not my Baywatch kind of thing. But like, but like that formula, it worked to an extent for 21 jump street because that was kind of the same thing. It's like, I, I'm sure a small minority of millennials who had seen 21 jump street had actually seen the show beforehand, but it's also Mm -hmm. one of those things where it was like, that was such a like i don't know i think we touched on it in like in the last podcast 21 jump street had the benefit of having lord and miller as the strong creative voice and it was self-aware of the kind of movie it wanted to be and that greatly benefited the end product and the quality was good unlike baywatch and pirates fucking whatever number they're on. Well, and also I was like in the slash film article, they talk about how 21 jump street, um, had the advantage of opening in the middle of March and not in the summer because like that Which studios are highly covering that March spot. Now I feel like yeah. it's undiscovered territory. Yeah. It's like, honestly, like February and March of this year had better movies than like has had in the past couple of years. And it's yeah, kind of yeah. interesting seeing that be, like, the new kind of hot period of time for movies to be able to come out. But, um, but yeah, it says it opened in, the, in March and not in the summer, which, like, the second one opened in the summer. But, like, it had the brand recognition and, like, pe- enough people had yeah. seen the, the first one to where then people wanted to go see the second one. But, um, but, yeah. And then it says that 21 Jump Street opened to $36 million, but with a smaller budget. And then, this is my favorite thing, it says, its reported budget was $42 million, where Baywatch cost a reported $69 million. Nice. Wow. 
But then there's just like a 69 joke added in there, <laughs> which kind of just makes me happy. Because it's like, it makes me wonder, I'm like, did you plan on that or did that just happen? Because it, I, I it, it, it would be hilarious if it was like, no, our cap is 69 million. <laughs> like, we have to have it be 69 <laughs> so that anyone who's reading this just goes, nice. <laughs> like, because why, why the hell like not? Everyone in the production line was like, nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> and then there's that one guy, it took a second, like, why is there, oh. oh nice <laughs> but but yeah it's like it's just kind of fascinating to me because so going specifically more towards the, these articles um so the argument that was kind of made by deadline and then that has been argued by um the studios that made both of these movies and by like Dwayne Johnson himself is kind of like oh well it's okay that critics kind of shit on it and like but like I guess they were a little too harsh on it but you know Which who is, cares it's this whole trend that I've noticed when a big blockbuster or genre movie comes out, critics pan it. The someone in the cast, one of the stars, will come out and say, "We made this movie for the fans, not critics." Yeah, yeah. Like and I just found if, Johnson's like when, tweet yeah. thing, and it says, "Like when, oh boy, critics had their venom and their knives ready. Fans love the movie. There's a big disconnect with critics and people." Which, like, which <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, the people have spoken. And they just did not care. Like, Dwayne Johnson, cool guy, never met you. You're talented, funny, but I, you're wrong in this case, well, unfortunately. And, well, but, like, and, like, it creates this interesting sort of thing. Because, like, so so you and I were texting about this before we then decided. We were like, we need to do a podcast because we've been, like, we've been giving some really yeah. good points. But it's, like, there's this assumption that... The, the critics that are reviewing these movies aren't fans, which is which, like a bad assumption to be making. Yeah, because uh, you have like a, all these stars come out and say, we made this movie for the fans, not critics. Well, I th- critics can be fans and they are fans. And I don't think it's a mutually exclusive thing. Well, all, but I mean, also otherwise, why time, wouldn't they review these movies? Yeah. But also at the same time, it's kind of interesting because, um, cause like then I presented a thing initially cause I agree with you. But then like when we were talking, I was like, but wait, here's a really good example, which is, um, Batman versus Superman was very much an example of like how the fans perceive the movie and what the fans got out of the movie is a completely different, like, unbelievably different reading from what a large majority of the critics got from the movie. It's and night and day. Exactly. Which is like, but there's, there's the argument to kind of be made there because it's like, obviously some of like a, a lot of the people who went and reviewed that movie were fans of the characters and were like, were wanting the movie, which then kind of creates a, a another whole thing altogether with that movie, like as just its own sort of example, because like if they went in with their own perceived notions of like how their Batman should be acting and how their Superman should be acting, then seeing that not happen might have led to them like shitting on the movie a little bit more because it's like, well, this isn't this isn't my interpretation of this character that's been around for, you know, 70 years or whatever. So like this movie's yeah. garbage but like with and Baywatch it, and stuff like that it's just kind of I mean like even just like any of these movies that are kind of coming out now just like there there are critics that are fans of whatever the source material is or whatever the previous movie is looking at pirates yeah and kind of going back to BVS because uh, the week before it came out or earlier in the week before it was released 
the Rotten Tomatoes reviews came out and it was poor. And then still that same weekend, it made a shit ton of money. Yeah. Um, but as one of these articles say, I, I can't remember which one. The people who wanted to see that had already bought their tickets. Yeah. Their minds although, were made up. They weren't going to have My argument run. with BVS, though, is like, and with like the DCU movies as a whole, I feel like they're a separate example outside of all of that because like the Slash Film article specifically cites that like, oh, well... Like, because Wonder Woman comes out today, like, the day that we're recording this. And, like, it, it basically argues that, like, oh, well, if you wanted to see Wonder Woman, you would have already bought your ticket and you would have already set yourself out to go. So, like, the film getting certified fresh and getting really good ratings isn't going to have an effect on that. And, like, part of me agrees with that, but part of me is also, like, specifically with the DCU movies, it does have an effect. Because I remember seeing when BVS and Suicide Squad came out, a lot of people who were like, well, I'm going to try the movie out. And then the, all the Rotten Tomatoes reviews comes out. And then they're like, oh, I, I just like refunded my ticket because like, fuck this movie. I don't want to watch it anymore. So yeah. it's like there is kind of that extent. But I feel like like the DCU is kind of just a separate entity from the movies that we're talking about. But it is kind of interesting that like Slash Film cites Wonder Woman in particular when I'm like, no, Wonder Woman is like a weird example of this. But I do agree with like Baywatch and Pirates. It's like you were going to see those movies anyway if you wanted to see them. Yeah. And so. then and then once the reviews came out and the, the word of mouth of like, don't see it, it's crap. Well, that's why the following weekend um, and they're going into their second week now, right? Yeah. As of recording, yeah, the the numbers are going to drop drastically. Exactly. Regardless of what Wonder Woman does, they're going to have a huge precipitous drop just because, on top of the reviews and just the poor word of mouth that no one is interested in these movies because they're bad. Although I have one friend who did see Baywatch and he liked it, but he also liked the Boss Baby. So I have a little, <laughs> I have, I have occasional questions about his taste in movies. But it's also just kind of like to each their own sort of thing. But it is kind of interesting because, like, so Slash Film and Vulture both kind of went in depth about how both of these movies were kind of like kind of had their own reasons to fail before the critical reviews even came out. Which is kind of true. So, yeah, we haven't touched on the... Vulture. Really, the other movie. Oh, yeah, the um, other movie. It, it has a lot of baggage. Yeah. And uh, Pirates is just victim of diminishing returns, regardless of Johnny Depp. I mean, the last one came out, what, three years ago? Yeah. It didn't longer, make a big splash. Longer ago, I think. Because Four? Because, like, let me see. Cause well, because the, the original... Them- the original trilogy ended in 2007 because that's 10 years ago already that it, so really the hype and the general interest is gone it's faded uh, and then they make the cash cow uh fourth one and then this one is just really seemingly phoning it in and apparently so was johnny depp on set being fed lines through an earpiece <laughs> that um, does not surprise me like even in no. the slightest and and it, it kind of goes back to Depp diminishing returns, and he's just a really shitty person uh-huh. who uh, is abusive, and and audiences have taken note of that, and they just 
don't care for whatever he does anymore. Uh-huh. Well, and, like, I have more to add on that, but I was just kind of checking just to double-check when the fourth one came out, because I haven't really paid attention to this whole franchise. I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of them. Like, I might have seen one of them, like, at a friend's birthday party or something. But, like, when I when the franchise started 2011. coming out... Yeah, so it was six years ago. But, like... Like this franchise started in two thousand and three, so they've been they've been at this for fourteen years now, and now they're trying to probably make another sequel off of it. It's like by the time that other sequel comes out, this franchise will be old enough to drive. Like yes. that's kind of a sign that like and just watching kind of the the interest in it kind of fade away is making it more and more just kind of a hollow franchise. It's like. It's an obvious yeah. uh, cash grab. Like, the first one is pretty cool. I, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember actually enjoying it. And it was just a general kind of surprise, like a pleasant surprise, regardless of Depp and his shittiness. Um, and then it's like, oh, yay, this movie actually worked out. Let's make another and then another and then another and another. And it, we just stopped caring. Like you said, it became hollow and kind of this character of itself that lost uh, the qualities that made it good. Which is like, I feel like everything that Johnny Depp has been touching as far as like a franchise and stuff, it just turns into, and it's not just because of like my personal issues with Johnny Depp, like he's a resounding horrible person and I will not see a movie with him if I can help it. Like the fact that he was in Fantastic Beasts, spoiler alert, that movie came out in November, Um, but like the fact that he's in Fantastic Beasts just like every time I would see that movie it like rubbed me the wrong way, like so horribly because it's like I don't want him in here but like I like this franchise without him in it. But like if you look at Pirates and you look at like the Alice in Wonderland franchise and whatever, it's like him being in it just kind of tanks everything. And I feel like he is the only reason that this franchise is still alive. Yeah. Because it's not like Disney needs kind of an action adventure franchise. I mean, uh, before they got Star Wars, Disney got Star Wars, they were going to bank on the John Carter franchise. Oh, God. That movie tanked, <laughs> but Disney killed it intentionally because they knew they were getting star wars and it's like this will be our next big space opera uh, franchise yeah exactly so we don't need uh john carter it's fine if we kill it and so i i think if pirates didn't have johnny depp this franchise would have been done two movies ago well and i did see a headline that was basically like we're not going to make pirate sequels unless johnny depp is involved and it's just like dear god like it's like well that then like by the time they make like the sixth or the seventh one then there's going to be such a smaller audience because it's like no one as time goes on people care so much less about johnny depp and it's kind of interesting to me like what's kind of bothered me the most not having seen the most recent pirates but just kind of seeing the promotional materials is like knowing that johnny depp is a horrible person and like an an abuser and all this sort of stuff and then like having the movie have so many like sex jokes just in the trailer is like it it really like they're the one like really long trailer that they showed before guardians of the galaxy i like i took my little sister to see guardians and then in the like that that trailer played before it and there's this whole really long sequence of like the the token girl in the movie talking about how she's a horologist and then all of the like dude pirates make this whole big joke about it and it goes on for like a full 30 seconds and it is not funny. It's, like, so uncomfortable. And it's supposed to be marketed as a kid's movie. 
And I'm like, how many... Which you would expect that kind of joke to happen in the other movie that just came out, Baywatch. Yeah, but, like, you wouldn't expect it. Like, no, no parent is going to see that advertisement in a movie that they're taking their kid to and then go oh good i want to take this kid to like my kid to this movie so that they i can explain to them on the way home why that joke is funny no parent's gonna want to do that like no. it's just kind of it, it's so tacky in a which, weird sort of which way which is funny that you say that because um so pirates of the caribbean dead men tell no tales has a current 31 percent on rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. the audience score i was not expecting it's 72%. Huh. Yeah. But also, that's much higher than I expected. Granted, it just came out. I don't I don't know how it got so high. It's really weird to me. Yeah. I um, think I can't yeah. explain that. Which Baywatch is at 70% audience score and uh-huh. 20% rotten. I think we've kind of determined though that like with the audience scores and stuff, it's more dependent on because it's like it's not a thing where you're just asking people who walk out of a movie. It's more just like this person saw the movie and then specifically went to Rotten Tomatoes and then like offered their opinion on it. And so it's like out of that 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 amount of people. That I mean that's like a fair enough percentage. Mm-hmm. It's not. I, I feel like more often than not. There's going to like most movies that come out on that kind of scale are going to have that amount of audience reception, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, scrolling through the little snippet reviews for Baywatch. It's kind of exactly what I expected. Cast is good, but wasted. Um, big explosions. It's basically. It seems like a Michael Bay comedy. <laughs> You know, it has, it looks cool, looks badass and sexy, but really just shallow, hollow, no plot, but audiences like it. So, like, going back to the Vulture review, because I'm kind of looking it over while you're doing that, um, it's just kind of, like, it talks about how the marketing for Pirates kind of had a hand in what kind of screwed it over because like I agree there are still going to be people who it's like oh well I remember the old Pirates movie so I'm going to go see that one like because I just like there has to be a reason why they're making another one but then like when you actually like look at the marketing or whatever it's like the the Vulture article says the series added yet another pair of generically good looking young lovers as well as another effects heavy villain in Javier Bardem leaving the marketing campaign without any sort of new hook to sell domestic audiences can smell the cynical cash grab okay so two points off of that yeah um javier bardem good actor was not supposed to be in this movie really um well because so the original villain for this this movie was going to be uh, a woman it was going to be a, a female villain but johnny depp uh, did not like that he wanted to change it as he felt it was redundant from a previous movie he had just did with uh, a female villain oh so God. he had the studio and the script writers change it to uh, a male villain so take that as you will i'm just like what what the fuck other movie was there that it was like and that it, was had just, a, I, it, it wasn't even a big movie i i can't remember offhand but it was like ugh, seriously dap uh and then the other point off of that um now i don't know how strong of a draw they were but this movie brought back orlando bloom and Kira knightley and prominent roles in the movie too so i don't know if that had any draw 
for this one as they weren't in the last one. So uh-huh. it was like, ah, I'm not interested because the typical uh, hetero white <laughs> couple isn't in it. And this one they are, this time with their kid. Um, I don't know how much an effect that had on yeah. audiences. I'm Yeah, I'm looking at Johnny Depp's um, IMD, like IMDb page trying to just think, like, what even would that even be? Like, what movie would that have been to, like, justify, oh, well, I've had too many experiences with female villains. And then, and then I'm looking, like, I guess the, the second Alice in Wonderland movie... Okay, so here we Might go. Um, oh no! So it, it really... I found I found the article. Okay. So um, I gotta find it. So uh, in a 2016 blog post from the screenwriter, uh, he shed some light on the production, saying that. So this is a, a quote from the screenwriter for the new Pirates. Uh, My version of Dead Men Tell No Tales was set aside because it featured a female villain, and Johnny Depp was worried. That would be redundant to Dark Shadows, which also featured a female villain. That was four years, five years ago. Exactly. What I don't know what Depp fuck? is smoking. Okay, but that's and it's also Dark an Shadows. Indica- that's that also had an indication of how long this like shitty movie has been in development. That like for that in, long. in 2012 or probably earlier, because Dark Shadows had to have been made like 2011. Like around then, like the yeah. fact that then that bothered him enough to change it, and then like we didn't see the end result until five years later. God damn it! And the fact that it was <laughs> Dark Shadows, it wasn't even a big. Fi- it flopped, from what I remember. Yeah. God, so, that that yeah. drives me crazy. Because it's so, like- and then so the writer goes on to say, sometimes it just takes a single decision by a single person often just a whim to destroy years of story creation and world building. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, I mean, that, that just reminds me of like the Iron Man three argument with like Marvel where it was like, Oh, well like having a female villain won't sell toys. So like we need to, we need to have like a creepy generic male villain that like no one's going to want to buy a toy of, but it's like, like obviously Marvel has course corrected because it's like Ragnarok and Guardians both kind of have like female antagonists in like prominent roles, but it's just kind of that's crazy to me that like that uh, that also bothers me that like Johnny Depp has a, has as much control as he does over which how... is wh- which which kind of goes back to this is why this franchise is still alive because of Johnny Depp and apparently what Johnny Depp says he'll he'll get. Uh... <laughs> Because if it was anyone else, they, they would have been, screw you. We're going to make our movie the way we want to. You're well, not going to have a creative voice. Well, it. but then going back to the, the Vulture article, it says, as for pirates, it, um, Depp can barely be bothered to go to set and is giving such a phone-in performance that he's allegedly being fed lines via an earpiece. What reason is there for anyone else to be giving this enterprise their best work? So it's like he had so much of a problem with the development of the film, and then the film's actually getting made, and it's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to phone it in. He takes so disinterest in it. It, that it, it's it's a cash grab for everyone. God, it's just I, yeah. Uh, fuck Johnny. You Depp. could just tell how hollow that franchise is now. Whereas, like I, uh, on the other end, Baywatch. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Johnson. He's obviously he seems like a very passionate person about whatever he's working on. Exactly. And takes a lot of care and interest. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for Baywatch because um, I feel like he 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 was planning on doing maybe at least one other one. Yeah. Uh, after this, but that's probably not going to happen now, unless it does really well internationally. Whenever it's released there, yeah, we'll see. Who knows? 
sequels have been greenlit on on lower rot, Rotten Tomato scores. Exactly. Well, and like, it, um, I was just kind of thinking. I was like, the, the a good justification for like bringing Baywatch back and having it have a sequel would be if it was almost like a connected, like, um, team up movie with like another franchise. I don't know what necessarily that would be because I know. So, uh, so with Twenty One Jump Street, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. That franchise reached a point where it's like, all right, we're getting too meta, too self aware. Obviously, with that. The, the, in the second one, or was it the first or second one where they had that crazy sequence where it's like 21 Jump Street, Nun School, in space? That was um, that was 22, I think. Okay, that 22. Was like the end, yeah, that was the end of 22. So that, I think, who's the studio? Universal? Yeah, Universal. Think, yeah. They were planning on a 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover exactly. movie. And yeah. that's like, that's the next logical step to them, which seems insane, but I it can works. follow that logic. It, it totally works. And it's something like that, that's like, the next logical place you go. Yeah. But, like, I don't know what the equivalent would be necessarily for Baywatch, but I feel like if you did that, like, it would it would work in a way. It would kind of almost get kind of like the Sharknado sort of appeal of just, like, well, of course this is the logical step and it's absolutely ridiculous. And you're taking these characters that, like, don't, that, like, aren't, I mean, they're fully formed enough to, like, exist in a movie, but, like, you're taking these characters that aren't really the selling point of the movie, but then you're just giving them increasingly ridiculous situations to be Exactly. In. You, yeah. you just have to constantly up the ante in ridiculous ways yeah. to get the audience's attention so it doesn't look like this generic movie. Yeah. Whereas I feel like 21 Jump Street is, like, there's enough reason to care about the characters, and, like, they, they, they're they portrayed and cast, uh, like, well enough to justify wanting to continue to see more movies of them, because it's, like, both of the leads and then, like, um, Ice Cube as, like, their, their, like, police head guy, like, they are so genuinely funny to watch that it's, like, I will watch them in any context within that franchise because oh, yeah. it's like they're, they're great they're creating a really good like really good characters to then kind of base ridiculous situations around but it's like i don't i don't know if the same can be said for baywatch i have absolutely no idea yeah i don't i because that's the whole cast thing it goes back why would you pair zach efron with dwayne johnson yeah i'm sure they're friends and they get along and they work together but like their on-screen dynamic i'm just not interested in well, and, like, I'm reading the Vulture article, because um, the Vulture article kind of breaks down, like, the marketing, the stars, and the quality of each of the movies, and justifying how that kind of tanked the movie, and not so much the Rotten Tomatoes reviews. But so, like, with Baywatch, it says um, that, let's see, Efron is not as a major draw for the young men that Baywatch is aimed at. His only significant hit was The First Neighbors, which got a lot of mileage out of his mismatch with Seth Rogen. But by the time the sequel the the sequel hit two years later, the joke was over, and Neighbors 2 made barely a third of the original. Johnson, too, is more appealing in films with a good comic mi- mismatch, like Kevin Hart, or movies where his co-star simply reinforces the right aspect of his image, like in Fast and the Furious, where Vin Diesel simply double underlines Johnson's action bona fides. Casting Johnson and Efron opposite each other is a comic non-starter. When you put the pair of them together, all you see is two guys who must spend half of their days thinking about their bodies. <laughs> so it would have been much interesting to take Seth Rogen and Dwayne Johnson and put them together or like, in Baywatch. Okay, okay, one of the film's like supporting characters is Hannibal Burris. 
give me The Rock and Hannibal Burris in Baywatch. That would have been infinitely more interesting. I would have seen that opening weekend because that would have been like a Hannibal Burris would have been given a significant role in a movie and that would have made me happy and b that like odd couple sort of dynamic like would have made it so much more interesting to me like I'll probably still go see Baywatch when it's at like the dollar theater or something but like even just me saying that is a testament to how they didn't necessarily hit the mark that they wanted to hit of like we're going to make this like the best comedy that everyone's going to want to go see and so there's there's one specific actor who I, I'm surprised I haven't heard anything from him, and that's David Hasselhoff. Is he like, in it? He was. I don't know. I mean, he was know. the star of the original TV I series. I don't know if he has a cameo in this one. Let me check. Because uh, in 21 Jump Street, yeah. Johnny Depp and the other guy from the original series cameo in it as their original characters, so I don't know. If like Hasselhoff, or I think Hasselhoff, Carmen Electra. Yeah, I think Hasselhoff is writing his. Um, yeah, it says that Hasselhoff is in Baywatch as See, the, I, the mentor, so- which is probably the same level of cameo that like like you were saying, like Depp has in Twenty One Jump Street. I wonder if they had put Hasselhoff in the marketing, if that would have affected people's opinions or. Uh, but then it would desire to go see it. It might because like been- oh Hasselhoff is in it. Uh, it has my stamp of approval. If- yeah. But then that might have almost been like too much of a um, too much of a like misleading thing to include because then it's like oh shit like they all these people then like mouth breather people kind of assume that then David Hasselhoff is half of the movie when in reality he probably only has like one scene. So that is true. Yeah. But I wouldn't put it past the studio to kind of cleverly market a, a movie, and that kind of goes into this whole thing of well, do critics kind of kill these movies? before they even have a chance to get to audiences for audiences to kind of form their own opinions or even buy a ticket. Yeah. Whereas like the slash film article kind of discusses that and discusses how their argument is that critics don't really have any power and that no, no single critic thinks that they have that power, which is definitely true. But it's like, um, it's that the critical reception this person argues is kind of used as a scapegoat because this person says short version just because pirates five or baywatch have low ratings on rotten tomatoes does not mean each critic's review lines up with the rating a two out of four review for of pirates five is listed as rotten just like a zero out of four review yeah that's true and and i'd like to think i'd like to think that generally audiences form their own opinions and they buy tickets not solely based on reviews yeah. and critical reception. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, like on the inter- internet culture, we'll kind of have this uh, confirmation bias where we will agree with opinions and reviews that uh, confirm our own opinions and ones that contradict it. And it's like, oh, no, that reviewer is stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Although I will agree that there is like a tiny bit of how it does influence it because like I, um, about a week or so ago, I was trying to figure out like, I wanted to go see a movie, but I was trying to figure out which one to go to. And then I was looking on Fandango at like what was just showing at the one particular theater. And there were a couple of movies where it was like, oh, I've seen the trailer and maybe this would be interesting. But then when you click on it in Fandango, it shows the Rotten Tomatoes score. And so it would be like, oh, that one has like a 23. So... I'm less willing to go see that now. And so, so yeah. Okay, so uh, that kind of goes into another thing that I've now just realizing that I've noticed in movie marketing that 
TV spots will have Rotten Tomato scores in them. Yeah. And as if that's uh, something to prompt people to go see this movie, it has, you know, it's uh, the seal of approval. It's fresh. Go see this movie. It's like, oh, well, that was the last push I needed. It's fresh, guys. Let's go buy our tickets. I I think it's not necessarily, there's not going to be a particular person who is like just waiting for a movie to be certified fresh, whether or not they're going to go see it. But it's like, I feel like that does, I feel like we have to kind of look at it in in terms of like how we perceive how movies are made and how they're reviewed versus like how the average person might see it. Because like if, if just like a person who doesn't necessarily keep up with movies, but then just like goes to see whatever is playing at the theater like if they see that commercial that then says like Wonder Woman is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and here's all these awesome like sound bites from reviews they're going to be like oh well then obviously it has to be good then if it's that praised but like you don't I mean like it is kind of there is kind of a double-edged sword with it but I can see why studios do that because it is kind of an effective tool depending it on is, who yeah. they're trying to target yeah so, it's it's yeah. a whole science to to that kind of marketing and I, the, rev- the reviews have to carry some small amount of weight because I, so I work at a comic book store and almost every time, uh, Wonder Woman, the movie was mentioned in the last few days, the reviews came up in conversation, specifically how good they were. Um, not so much like, Oh, this movie looks good. Well, it, the fact that people did say, Oh, this looks good, but they also made a point to mention that the reviews were generally positive. So it's something that's on people's mind. I don't know if it was because they were surprised because it's a DCEU movie that's like, oh, wow, this scored better much more than I thought it would, or just because reviews are generally on people's minds when uh, deciding to go see a movie. I feel like it I feel like like we've like we've kind of touched on I feel like the DCEU is kind of an outlier because it's like the Rotten Tomato scores have had a significant effect on that universe in particular but I would say just like judging off of just like a a movie outside of that like an, another sort of franchise or another sort of movie or whatever I would say that like Rotten Tomato scores don't necessarily affect like Marvel movies or any sort of like established franchise like that, like like the slash film article references Transformers, and it basically says that like we keep getting Transformers movies even though they it's have fr- a nineteen, a thirty five, and an eighteen percent are like that's what the last three got on Rotten Tomatoes. Because people like their big dumb crazy popcorn yeah. action. Flicks. So it's like people are going to like whatever they're going to like, but I do feel like there's a there's kind of a different. Um, subcategory of people who do like they have movies that they're that they know that they definitely want to see but then they have movies where it's like well I will see this if like if other people tell me that it looks good if the reviews are good then and, and like that justifies me going to go see it because it's like <laughs> it might just be a signi- like a signifier of like our culture now and just kind of how we're all dealing with time and whatever it's like we're not just going to spend just two hours watching a movie that we're not positive we're going to really like because mm-hmm. it's like such an investment now to kind of like spend your time to be able to do that yeah it's it's a yeah because dcu is an outlier because uh where i work the comic book store the reviews for guardians of the galaxy volume two never came up in discussion it was always it was a fun movie it was enjoyable it was a lot like the first one yeah i had fun and that was pretty much it. Yeah. 
it's kind of like a presumptive thing that like Marvel movies mm-hmm. are going to get good Rotten Tomato scores, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. Um, but it's like even like like I'm gonna look at a thing real quick just to kind of see our point. So. Okay, so, like, if you're looking, because, like, um, Slash Film kind of argues about how the month of summer movie, of, like, the summer movie season has already gone, because, like, it opened with Guardians, it has an 81%, and then the week after that... It's already been a crowded summer. Yeah, but then, like, the week after that, we had King Arthur, which got a 29%. But, it like, that, I don't think, like, it, it, it underperformed in the box office, but I don't necessarily know how much of an impact the reviews actually had on that. I think it I was... I don't know. I don't think it was on anyone's radar because I, I had totally – it wasn't on my radar. I totally missed it. I didn't have plans to see it. Yeah. I mean, it, it the the audience score isn't that scientific, but it has a 76%. Yeah. So take that as you will. I, it definitely has more rotten reviews than positive ones. Um I think it's more – I think part of what affected that is just like – it seems like it's just kind of bleak. And it's like Guardians had come out the week before, and it's so much more poppy and like, yeah. And like, I think just determining between the two, it's and also Guardians like has are you, the brand recognition? Yeah, and it's like, and, are you going to commit to this new franchise, like this King Arthur franchise that they're trying to establish, if you don't necessarily like, if 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 the reviews aren't necessarily the most positive, like positive, then I don't and, really and, know. Yeah, and not to slate Charlie Hunnam, but he doesn't exactly have kind of that households uh, recognition yet yes um <laughs> yeah. so which is unfortunate because he's good i liked him in pacific rim i haven't seen sons of anarchy but i i and i don't know which studio put out king arthur i can't remember it was warner, oh, brothers. It was warner brothers yeah it was warner um, brothers yeah so there goes their plans for <laughs> six movies out of this well, but then he's in the family to make him Green Arrow. That's literally like my Pipe dream. My, Which I think, yeah. I think he might take more seriously now no. because King Arthur failed. Yeah, exactly. I think he he was apprehensive about it until that King movie kind of tanked, and then now he's like, "Hey, D- hey, DC, give me a call. You know, I'm interested." Cause yeah, he's basically, just like, the, God help me, I need like another franchise to get on. I would have, yeah, I would have been uh, curious to see how well this movie would have done King Arthur had it come out in say march yeah or like october or november it would have done much better because you already have stiff competition competing with the marvel movie i that was warner brothers fault yeah putting it the week after guardians they should have known it 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 would have not stacked up well next to it and it didn't yeah well and like um alien covenant came out after king arthur like that that was kind of the, the next succession in like summer movie which season. is a weird movie. It's a weird movie. I, I because it, it's yeah. fresh. Yeah. Just I've heard just generally mixed things. Like it has 196 fresh reviews and 81 rotten reviews, but I think part of that is like like, like the Alien franchise seems to be a very beloved sort of thing and like I think the way that Prometheus was received kind of had a hand in how this was received because everyone was just kind of everyone liked it better. From what I understand, a lot of people liked it better than they did Prometheus, which was kind of like a sigh of relief for them of like, oh, thank yeah. God, like this, this movie, like the franchise isn't tanking. It's like just kind of all over the place. But I also, yeah, I, I, I feel like it has that weird sort of mix of like people are going to want to go see it, especially like horror movie fans and people of the like fans of the original franchise. But then it also has enough of a like honoring of the source material and like 
establishing different stuff and kind of trying to be like high art sort of thing to yeah. then make critics like it. But I don't and know. I just, goes, yeah. Yeah. This kind of goes back to that other thing from earlier. It's like, if you're an aliens fan, you were going to go see this opening weekend. Exactly. You weren't, you weren't going to wait for the reviews. Cause he's like, you've gone through alien aliens three and four. Yeah. Uh, there might've the been other- some people that would have been hap- like apprehensive about that because of the fact that like, if if depending on their relationship to the alien franchise it's like if they didn't like any of the earlier like installments like the middle of the franchise sort of thing or if they really didn't like prometheus then i feel like there would have been people who would have waited and would have waited to see if the reviews were good or not and then that would have kind of influenced their decision because it's like well if you're uh, if you enjoy the alien franchise but you weren't happy with prometheus or whatever then you're going to be like well i don't want to necessarily go and sit through another two and a half hours of them kind of tanking this franchise that i like yeah and i think uh, the marketing for this movie uh, really went out of its way to make sure to tell audience this is an alien movie because prometheus only had the xenomorph at the very end and people were kind of disappointed i liked prometheus it has flaws yes it's not a perfect movie in any way but i enjoyed it it is in the alien universe but it's very alien light Uh um so that's why when the marketing came around they made sure to put the alien very prominently in the trailers telling like yes this is a follow-up to prometheus and the other aliens movies um we're giving you what you want I was just picturing an alternate universe because I, I haven't seen Covenant, but the the main thing that I know about it is the headlines about um, that were something along the lines of like Michael Fassbender essentially plays the recorder in a scene yeah. in Alien Covenant, <laughs> and I'm like, imagine an alternate universe where that is the marketing draw, and it's just like him essentially playing the recorder as like xenomorphs are attacking, and then that's the trailer for the movie. Well, well have you heard the line that goes along with that scene? No. It's, it's something along the lines of, shall I do the fingering? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally subtle there. Oh, my God. But, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. That movie, like, yeah, it is kind of interesting because we are sitting here talking about movies that we haven't seen yet. But it is kind of an interesting, it's an interesting sort of indication of, like, how much review culture and how much just even the trailers for movies kind of illustrate things. Because, like, we're, we're sitting here with all these preconceived notions and talking for almost an hour now. I don't know how much I'm going to cut this down to. But it's like, we're, we're talking this long about movies that we haven't seen yet. Going into July, now that we're officially in July, or June, sorry, time is hard. Um, but now that we're officially in June, like, everything... Week after week, there's going to be stuff that's coming out. Because, like, Wonder Woman comes out today. The Mummy comes out the week after... The week after that is Cars 3. It's like, which, I mean, they're not necessarily good movies that are coming out, but they're big enough things that it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they fall into this sort of argument about Baywatch and Pirates of, like, if if the same sort of pattern happens of, like, yeah. audience reception versus Rotten Tomatoes reception versus box office. I'm curious to see how, how Cars will do because <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a franchise that... Um, it's a Pixar one, so people will go see it. Yeah, it will. It um, will make it, it, it has, its money. It's a kids' movie. All the kids are going to go see it. When the parents are like, "Oh, are we going to go see the Mummy, Wonder Woman, or Cars?" Well, they're going to take a little billion Sally to see Cars for yeah. an hour and a half. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know how. If there's one movie that'll knock Wonder Woman it'll out of the number one spot, it'll be Cars. Yeah. Just because. It's the family movie, and those have a wider reach than 
Wonder Woman or The Mummy. Well, and it's like a family movie with an established brand behind it, whereas, like, I'm looking, because I don't know if it was on mic or not, but we were talking about um, Captain Underpants, because we had Rotten Tomatoes open, and at the moment when we started recording, Captain Underpants had a 100% rating. Granted, it's only eight reviews yeah. as of recording, eight reviews, but, but still, a hundred. But, but it has changed since we started oh. recording. It is now at an eighty-five percent. There are twelve. Oh, right. There are twelve reviews: ten fresh and two rotten. So it is kind of like yeah. that. That was kind of a nice thing. We sound it like is horrible very, people, yeah. but we're like, thank God, Captain <laughs> Underpants is being taken down a peg. But it was mainly just like we're kind of like, don't you dare get a higher rating than Wonder Woman. Like going into this weekend, yeah. that would be kind of crazy. Yeah, I, but, Captain uh, Underpants will. It'll come in at the number two spot this weekend, yeah. just because it's a family movie, has a wider reach, but it it doesn't have a stronger brand recognition as something as Disney and Pixar. I could almost see it being number three, maybe. I don't know. I could see Pirates still somehow getting number two. Oh, that's right, Pirates. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be Let's like see, it'll, I don't know. I'm just predicting right now. It'll be Wonder Woman, Pirates, and then probably Captain Underpants. Yeah, if, if that's even how I see it, that it could be, it could be lower. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, but I think it's just kind of going to be interesting. I feel like we should do episodes like this, um, like, every so often. Maybe, like, again, yeah. maybe like again in a month, and we just kind of talk about, like, the the critical... Like, re- current box office. Cool, because, like, so... Because so, it's, like, the first day of June as we're recording this, so we could totally do something on, like, the first day of July, and then look at all of the June releases, and then kind of do something similar yeah. to this. Yeah. Because be this is kind of interesting to see, and it's and it, it's making me appreciate the fact that Wonder Woman has the score that it does. Because it's not, I mean, like it's it's kind of a testament to just like that movie being held separately from the rest of the box office stuff. And it's it's making me more excited going to, in to go see it to know like it's a breath of fresh air even for critics, both in the extent of the DCU, but then also in the extent of like compared to the other summer movies. Yeah, we could do like a, like a kind of like a monthly Rotten Round. Tomatoes recap. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes Roundup or something. Yeah, yeah. Although we probably can't call the episode that, <laughs> just so no. just so we don't get sued. So if you have been listening for this whole stretch of time, I salute you. Let us know in the comments if you have seen Pirates Five and Baywatch and King Arthur and Alien Covenant, and let us know how you thought of th- like what you thought of them and whether or not you liked them. Um, or even if like reviews have any bearing on your decision to go see a movie. Oh, how, where can people find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me on social media with uh, just <laughs> you just had an a hour. stroke. <laughs> I just stroked out so hard. Um, uh, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on social media at that Chris Fido. The Chris uh, Fido. You just said that. God damn it. All right. Third time's a charm. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Which is because, like, I had my coffee already. I, I did spilled too. some of it. It was sad. Aww. It was really sad. Um, and I had to clean it up. But okay. Third time's a charm. <laughs> they won't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find me on social media at the Chris Vito. Uh, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. That's where I uh, post stuff. If you want to follow me, I don't care. <laughs> so, such a ringing so endorsement. Blase. Such a ringing endorsement of your own right. social media. Right. Where can they find you? 
Um, so they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hey, it's Jenna Lynn. Um, I also write for comicbook.com and you can search for me under that same username. Hey, it's Jenna Lynn and find my articles on there. Um, and you can follow the show at tomato tomato pod and yeah, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, follow us on Twitter, um, respond to us on Twitter. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. So I need your validation. Yes. Our, your validation is very important. So yeah. Um, keep watching movies and go see wonder woman this weekend. Do it. Yeah. That'll be our next episode, right? Yes, it will. So get get ready for that. Yeah. Keep, uh, you know, subscribe to us, follow us on Twitter. And then, uh, so you won't miss our special wonder woman episode. Yes. All right. So keep watching movies. Bye. 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 Bye.